Thank you, Sonia. Those are challenging words of Jesus, and they lead us into our prayer of confession. Let us pray. Watching God, we are always uncomfortable when you notice how we want to sit in the seats of honor. We can be so proper, so good, so well off, it is easy to imagine we are superior to the poor. We are so busy completing our to-do list each day that we forget to do good when we have the opportunity. Welcoming God, forgive us. Strip away our selfishness and pride. Fill our emptiness with your grace and humility. That we would spend our lives alongside Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, throwing a party for the poor, the prisoner, the disenfranchised, the lost with a love which overflows without thought for ourselves. This is the good news. Jesus has paid the price of sin. And by his cross we are healed and forgiven and set free from narrow living to a wider horizon. Thank you, God. Amen. It's a very human desire, isn't it, to try to obtain the best seat in the house? I know that's why we come to church early. (laughs) But whether we are attending a concert or a cinema or a restaurant or, and I confess that this year I've had row two at the Barbican and courtside seats at Centre Court, Wimbledon, so I'm preaching to myself here. Um, We jostle for a good place or at least appreciate it uh, when that comes up for us by chance. We want a good seat with a good view. And sometimes the best seats, of course, are reserved for VIPs, very important persons. And these seats can be sometimes bought for a very high price. I think that desire for the best seat starts at a young age. I sometimes see young children dashing up the double-decker to get those front seats um, at the top. And maybe some of us adults do that as well, if we're honest. (laughs) Jostling for position. It can start at a young age and it goes throughout our life and even beyond our life because I read in a magazine the story of how when the comic Tony Hancock died in Australia, his good friend and fellow comic Willie Rushton 
was given the responsibility of accompanying Hancock's cremated ashes on the flight back to England. And once on the flight, Willie Rushton put the urn on the seat next to him. And when that seat was required by another passenger, the air stewardess insisted, Mr. Hancock should travel first class. (laughs) And so the late Tony Hancock was upgraded to first class. And as a touching footnote to that story, when Willie Rushton collected the urn at the end of the flight, somebody had placed a red rose uh, next to that urn with a note saying, thank you for making us laugh. Well, what's at the heart of this? I suppose it's the ambition to have the best place. It's self-centeredness, really, isn't it? Um, We don't want others to get in our way. And that attitude was there in Jesus' day. And we heard in our Bible reading how he challenged it. Let's explore the story. Luke sets the scene for us. It's a mealtime. And as we've said before, Luke has more mealtime scenes in his gospel than any of the other gospel writers. It's a feast that's being spread, and who wouldn't want to be at a feast? To be welcomed to a welcoming feast is a magical thing indeed. And, you know, in Jesus' day, holding a feast or a social gathering meant that custom and etiquette were very detailed and had to be followed. One Bible commentator puts it this way, in that day, a dinner with guests is an occasion of social importance to which peoples of one's class are invited and where there is an implied sharing of values and ideas. The status and rank of individuals are legitimated by their inclusion in the guest list and their location on the seating plan. For Luke's readers, meals are also symbols for the in-breaking and anticipated rule of God. In the previous chapter, we hear people coming from east and west, north and south to feast in the kingdom of God. The Lord's table becomes a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. So holding on to that background information, we picture Jesus in attendance at a meal at the home of a leading Pharisee. We don't know what was on the menu, but we get a sense very early on that here was a recipe for confrontation. Especially we are told that the Pharisees are watching Jesus closely. They're trying to catch him out. And they watch closely as Jesus heals a man with dropsy. 
a painful swelling of the skin. And that sick man was certainly not on the welcome guest list. He was not a VIP in that day. Like the sorting hat in Harry Potter, the Pharisees put people into different classes depending on their status. And sadly we know that still happens to this very day. And the Pharisees were left feeling angry and no doubt had indigestion from this because Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day, the rest day. They're watching Jesus closely, but we find out that Jesus is also watching them very closely and looking at their hearts, looking beneath. He watches how the guests jockey with each other for the best couches to recline at the meal table. Here again, that human desire to get the best seat available. Jesus sees a teaching opportunity. And what we find is more than just a lesson on table manners and etiquette. Jesus tells them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't go and sit in the best seat in case some other guest more important is invited. And the person who invited you both comes and says to you, please move down the line for this man. And you go to the end of the queue in embarrassment. Instead, when someone invites you, go down and sit in the lowest place. Then when your host arrives, he will say to you, my dear friend, come on higher up. And all your fellow guests will show you respect. You see, all those who push themselves forward will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be honored. And perhaps Jesus there is echoing these words of Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7, which read, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So what is Jesus really talking about here? Well, Luke tells us this parable So we know what's going on is more than just good advice for come dine with me. No, it's something deeper. The Pharisees were convinced that they had pride of place in God's eye, top of the list. They do get a hard knock from us preachers. And we need to remember they were just trying to keep to the law and to do the right thing. And there's no harm in that, but somehow they just miss the point, as we sometimes do, in order to keep themselves pure. 
but they wanted to pull rank, expecting to sit at the best table on earth and in heaven also. But the Pharisees and ourselves are in for a shock in what Jesus says because God has no time for pride and prejudice. God's guest list looks radically different. God's banquet looks radically different. God's guest list is all-inclusive. All are welcomed inside God's family. The poor who could never reciprocate the dinner invitation find a feast is set before them. It's the unmerited gift of God. The humble one who is not counted worthy enough to gather up the crumbs under the king's table, hears the kind voice of the king. Friend, come up higher. Come up higher. Take your place. There's no reserved seating. God's family table has enough room for all. But this banquet is not the office party. You're not obliged to attend. It is an invitation. You can accept or you can make excuses and refuse. So Jesus finally gives that challenge When you next give a lunch or supper, don't invite your friends or your family or relatives or your rich neighbors. They might ask you back again and you would be repaid. Instead, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And God will bless you, for they have no way of repaying you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So the host there is being invited to cross a big boundary to open wide his doors and invite the unclean into his home to offer hospitality that cannot be repaid. And the parable of the great banquet that follows would drive that point home. So how does that parable, that picture, challenge you today? How does it challenge our church? We know so often the church grieves its apparent loss of status in society. But we're reminded today to get alongside the lowest and the least. And we find out in God's eyes they're not low or least at all. We're challenged today. Like that earlier photograph of that low reservoir and the uncovered buildings, the words of Jesus today expose what lies beneath. Pride 
or humility. And Jesus shows us that more excellent way. He lives in you. He lives in me. And as as Paul wrote, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, but he emptied himself. He shows us the way he humbly washed his disciples' feet. He shows us the way of humility. So let's say today to God, Lord, take my pride, take my prejudice, take it away. It's unsightly. Like overflowing litter on the streets of Edinburgh, pride stinks. Self-importance stinks. It needs regular clearing away out of our life. And by the way, aren't refuge refuse collectors VIPs too? We're only two weeks away from the same thing happening, so maybe include a prayer of thanks to God for refuse collectors today. Yes, Jesus invites us to exchange the thrusting of the elbow for the bending of the knee. This week, can we give way a little more? Practice generous hospitality. Share what we have. Give without expecting to have the favor returned. Let's take our place at God's table and invite others to join in.